Good morning. It's good to see everyone on this uh, Christmas Sunday, since next Christmas is or next Sunday is actually Christmas. Um, it is, uh, I, I greet you with Merry Christmas. To those of you joining us online, welcome. We are so glad that you would uh, join us today. Uh, I am just personally happy to see everyone. Uh, it's nice to be up here occasionally and actually see your faces. Uh, when I'm back there, I only see the back of your heads, and this is definitely a, a better view. Uh, um, so just so you know, if you are new with us, maybe this is your first time with us, uh, there's going to be a QR code on the screen if you take your your uh, phone and you put the uh, camera app on and you point it at that, you can uh, access the bulletin. You can also, if this is your first time with us, uh, you can use that to contact us. Uh, same with the people who are online. If this is your first time with us, we really hope that you will reach out and let us know. Uh, we would love to uh, connect with you and to uh, let you know more about Press Church and all the different ways we hope we can serve you and you can be part of uh, this ministry. Now, just also so you know, a uh, couple quick things. Next Saturday, okay, December 24th, we're going to have a Christmas Eve service right here. Uh, it will not be streamed. This is an experience that you have to be at. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so uh, we want you to join us at 5 o'clock uh, this coming Saturday for our Christmas Eve service. Uh, one service, 5 o'clock, right here. Uh, because of that and because of the way the holidays fall, we're not going to have our Sunday morning gathering on December 25th. Something tells me most of you will be in your pajamas with kids and wrapping paper everywhere. Uh, and, and so please, please, please enjoy every second of that. I know that's where I'm going to be. Um, and, and so uh, then also on January 1st, which is a Sunday, we will not have in-person gathering that, that Sunday. But uh, I know Sean has prepared a special online message that will uh, be released that that morning, and uh, you know, if Pastor Sean's releasing an online message, it's probably going to be phenomenal. So you don't want to miss it, okay? <laughs> um, and also, just uh, with last thing before we dive into the message today, uh, this is the last couple of weeks for the Go campaign, uh, where we are asking everyone if they are willing to give over and above one month worth of what they normally give. This is going to help close the gap from our uh, budget versus giving, and it's also going to be funding opportunities to engage with the community uh, in, in the coming year. Uh, we're excited. We've seen some great momentum with this, and uh, we're excited to see what God is going to be doing. Uh, in 2023 as we reach out to the community and we try to let more and more people know that uh, this is a place where they can come, they can be part of a community, and they can connect with people in real life, and they can also hear about the amazing message of the grace of God that we find in Jesus. Um, speaking of Jesus, how's that for transition from announcements to sermon, right? <laughs> uh, you know, this is the week that uh, hopefully you're getting your last minute shopping done. Hopefully you're done. Um, maybe not. Still probably lots of wrapping to do. Do you get this question, hey, what do you want for Christmas? I get that a lot. I mean, I don't know why, because I never get, no, I'm just kidding. I get stuff. But, you know, people ask, what do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? And as a kid, I, I'm going to be honest, that was an easy question. Like, I remember pulling out catalogs for those of you under the age of 30. Those are actual physical books that came in the mail. And uh, you would flip through them, and then you would star all the places in the toy section that you wanted, and that became your Christmas list. Uh, I, I loved doing that. And, and so I was never short of things that I wanted for Christmas. 
But, you know, as you get older, it's a little different, isn't it? I mean, it, when, when, when your 19-year-old daughter who's, you know, in school and trying to, you know, cover all of her own costs in all these ways, she asks, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? I'm not going to tell her, here's what I really want. I want my car paid off, I want my house paid off, and I would love a membership at a really nice golf club. Okay, that's not an appropriate response when your 19-year-old daughter asks, or you know, when your daughter who's got two kids running around asks you what you want for Christmas. No, that's not. So it gets really, really difficult, I think, when people ask you what do you want for Christmas. And yet, let's be honest, giving gifts, right, receiving gifts, has become a central part of what I would call the Christmas liturgy, right? Where it's part of the process of what we do at Christmas. We give gifts because gifts are a central part of what Christmas is all about. Well, as you know, uh, the pastors, the teaching team generally gets together and we hop in the car and we talk about the topic uh, for the week. And again, we, we did this as well for this message. So uh, let's take a look at what the pastors were talking about. Christmas. I hope you got your shopping done. It's here. You only got a week. I always think of the Weird Al song. I don't it's know Christmas what... at Ground Zero. The button has been pushed. What song? What song? <laughs> I don't remember that one. Yeah, which it's one like is a it? Weird Al original, and I oh, it's think an original. It was off a of polka party, but yeah. Oh, okay. You would. <laughs> you always bring up the obscure. Yeah. yeah. I the mean, obscure, uh, if it's Weird Al, I'm into it. If it's <laughs> like Depeche Mode and The Cure, I'm into it. If it's uh, '80s country, I might be into it too. Ricky Skaggs, you know. <laughs> anyway. Way off. <laughs> so Christmas. So Christmas. <laughs> Rabbit trail. We had a lot of those. Uh, what's What's been? Uh, so in the f first week when we opened the series, we talked about gifts or toys. We like had yes. the, all the toys and what, when we were kids. What was like your most anticipated toy that you wanted or the, the gift that you really just had to get? I actually had probably like my biggest uh, transformative experience because of a Christmas gift. Wow, <laughs> really? Which, if you knew me as a kid, maybe not so shocking because um, <laughs> as neurotic as I am now, I promise you it was all there. But uh, I, uh, yeah, there was this uh, remote control car from Radio Shack that I really, really wanted. And I prayed for this thing. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Give us uh, this day, my RC. Well, I might have grown up around this <laughs> prosperity doctrine, kind of name, name it, it, claim it. it. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I was so, you know, believing I was going to get this gift. And then came Christmas, and I got a remote control car, but it was not that car. <laughs> and I was so disappointed, so disappointed. Uh, I was like, like the, the dollar brand store. Yeah, it's like dollar store brand. One of my first sort of struggles with God. I'm like, uh, you know, God really kind of. I prayed so right. Yeah. I prayed so right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, but what's funny is years later, I can look back on that and see that um, it was actually the better oh, option. Wow. It was not as expensive and it wasn't as fancy, but uh, all things considered, uh, it was actually a healthier option about toys or just gifts in general I think it was my senior year of high school I'd been wanting a guitar and um, and my parents knew it was like well Stan like yeah I really 
really would like to get a guitar. And it's not like guitars are cheap, you know what I mean? Well, so I'm opening gifts, and um, I open this up, and it's like an it's like a little miniature guitar. And it said like, "Here's the guitar you've been <laughs> wanting," and I'm like, <laughs> and I was like, kind of looking around to be like, "Is this? Are you trying to like?" mess with me here like I actually did want a guitar and uh I was a little like annoyed by it and we started opening some other presents and things like that and then finally my dad's like you know you can go down to the basement I've got something for you and it was you know they had gotten a guitar but it was like what yeah things like I'm like kind of like the Red Rider BB gun yeah wait till the last minute then pull it out from behind the camera right there you go exactly yeah I do remember this was many, many moons ago, but... <laughs> a decade. Yes. Centuries ago uh, when, when Jason when was, I a was a young kid. <laughs> I, I do remember going downstairs on Christmas morning, and my dad had got had purchased and then set up a bumper pool table. Mm-hmm. Not a full-blown pool table, because hmm. we didn't have that kind of room, but it was you know one of those kind of yeah. octagon-shaped yeah, yeah, yeah. bumper pool tables, mm-hmm. and that was my... Christmas mm. gift and I was that was really cool I really think my dad wanted it <laughs> and so you know that's yeah. really why I did it but I mean I don't care hey, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's it's funny that you know with gifts the things that again going back even to what you said CR about your like gifts that you want versus gifts that you need mm-hmm. yeah. or gifts that are better for you that right. you don't and and that's most of life is we're trying to figure out like what's good for us right we know what we want <laughs> yes but we don't know what yeah. we need right we don't know what's necessarily good for us exactly we can, yeah exactly yeah. yeah that's essentially i think the big question when it comes to christmas yeah. you know why are we celebrating yes because if we don't recognize we have a need for something right yeah. then we're not gonna celebrate what it's it is that we've been given yeah. yeah you know if you, you're gonna gift and you don't understand your need yeah. for it, it's like okay if you don't think you need the gift why right. celebrate getting it right. right the challenge then becomes like how are we missing the way in which christ is showing up mm-hmm. now yeah in our lives and it's reflective of this whole christmas narrative yeah. but we're missing it because we're looking for something else Yeah, how are we missing how Christ is showing up in our lives, even today? You know, what what makes the birth of Jesus significant? I mean, it is extremely significant because, I mean, we even, we adjust the calendar, right? Based on, we, we date things based on before and after the birth of Christ. That That's become just common. That's how we deal with things. Why would something like that, why did Jesus' birth, you know, what did it accomplish that was so significant that we would even do that? What was so important that we would celebrate it the way we do? Well, if you remember in Luke 2, there is the familiar passage of Jesus being born. And and I want to read just a section of it to you because it's an announcement that the angels make. And if you've seen Peanuts, the Christmas special, uh, you've heard this. Uh, And if you were in a church Christmas play growing up, you might have even had to memorize uh, this. But this is found in Luke chapter 2. I'm just going to start in verse 8. It says, that night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. 
Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will, be great, that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. He says, you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others. The armies of heaven praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. They used phrases, words like Savior, Messiah, Lord. What does that really mean? I mean, really, in, in today's world, what is this story of God redeeming all of creation to himself? What does that really mean even now? What, why, why does it require the birth of this baby in this podunk town south of Jerusalem in the middle of nowhere in a stable, in a manger, with really the only people that would come and see were these outcasts called shepherds who all they did was smell bad, live outside, and deal with sheep all day, and they're the ones that the angel called. Why in the world would Jesus do it this way? Why would God put his plan in motion? Why would he continue his story so that the culmination of the story is him becoming one of us and no one really noticing? That doesn't seem to make sense. But here's the thing. That there is something beautiful, I think, about the overarching narrative of the Bible it's, it's more than just, if you think about it, the Bible is more than just a bunch of disjointed stories that really have no connecting points. It's, it's not just, this happened, and oh, by the way, this happened, and oh, yeah, these things happened, and God did this thing over here, and then this happened. No, no, the whole thing is a flow that moves, and it culminates. It, it's, it's almost like the, the narrative climax happens because angels appear and declare that God has joined humanity and become one of them in something huge is about to happen. You know, Christmas is the hinge point of the story of God redeeming his creation to himself. This is where in that Luke 2 and in, in Matthew 1 and 2, we see these glimmers of hope begin to shine through. Maybe all is not lost. Maybe God is doing something. Maybe something amazing is about to happen and everything's going to change. It's where we start to sense that God's plan is about to be unveiled. See, to me, when, when, when the angels say, good news, that, that's going to bring great joy to all people, I gotta be honest, it begs some questions. 
It makes me think about some things. And, and so this morning, I want to take a few minutes, and, and I just want to work through it with you. I, I, want to, I want you to engage these questions, and maybe you've got your own questions that you need to wrestle with about what does it mean that this Savior and Messiah being born as a baby is great news for everyone? My questions are just, what, is the, what does the Savior save me from? Uh, since it happened so long ago, can it still work? And then, of course, how, how do I get this gift? So let's dive in. I just want to start with the first question. What does this Savior, this baby, save me from? If Jesus is truly the culmination of God's story that really started in Genesis chapter 3, right? I mean, that, that's when all of a sudden there was this shift, and God says, okay, now I've got to do something to intervene. I've, I've got to start a process that will move toward me being reconciled to my creation because my creation turned its back on me. And we've gone through this story over the last few weeks even. And that's kind of why we did some of this is we started out by showing that, you know, in, in the Garden of Eden, several weeks ago, Sean said that over and over we saw that it was good, right? That God created all of these things and he looked at it and he said, not only is it good, it's very good. His creation was everything that he wanted it to be. But that creation, we read in Genesis 3, said, again, I'll, I'll quote Pastor Sean, it didn't necessarily say, I, I said, I wanted to become God. Right? That, that was the sin. That was the rebellion. That was the moment when creation and when humanity said, we don't just want to serve under you. We want to be you. And so we rebelled. And Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden. Right? They were sent into the wilderness. They were exiled out of God's presence. And everyone who was born to them after that was born into the wilderness, was born into exile from God. And God said, I don't want this to be the final story. I don't want this to be the way things end up. I, the, I have more for my creation. My creation is still very good, and I don't want to let it go. In Genesis 3.15, we read about what scholars call the proto-evangelicum, which simply means the first declaration of the gospel. In Genesis 3.15, not in one of the gospels, in Genesis 3.15, because that's where God says, right, he's talking about the curses and, and the consequences of the sin, and he says, listen to the snake. He says, you will have enmity between you and the woman and her seed will crush your head. You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. And he's saying the day is coming when I will reconquer evil. Evil doesn't get the last say. Well, we know how this story takes shape over the course of the Old Testament, right? He calls this guy named Abram, and he says, you are gonna be the one 
that out of your family, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose them, and they are going to be my representatives. They are going to be the one that declares to them my representatives. They are going to be the world what my grace looks like, what, what salvation looks like, what being reconciled with me, being in a good relationship with me looks like. And, and so he calls Abraham, and Abraham does all these things and ends up that he ends up, his family ends up in Egypt about three generations later. And, and then over the next 400 years, they are enslaved. God raises up Moses, who then... He leads them out. And you've got to see the, the narrative parallels going on here, okay? Moses leads them out of slavery through the Dead Sea, or the Red Sea, and into the wilderness where they meet God at Mount Sinai. And they are with God, and God creates a covenant with them to say, here's what's going to happen. This is how I want you to be with me and how I want to travel with you. I want to be in your midst. I want to bring Eden, right? That place where you and where humanity and God lived hand in hand, where God walked with them in the cool of the gardens. I want to live with you and walk with you, and I'm going to create this space so that I can be in your presence, and then you can show the rest of the world what it is to be in the presence of God. And so they create this covenant. They, they have the tabernacle in which God actually is with them, which is cool because, you know, Sean started the series with John chapter 1, right? And he said, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and all those things, right? And we talked about Jesus as the second person of the Trinity actually existing at creation, right? He, didn't, he wasn't born like created then. He was there all along. He was part of the Trinity. And, and what we see is in John chapter 1 later on, I think it's verse 16 or so, where it says, and he dwelt among among us. He became flesh and he dwelt. That word is the same as he tabernacled among us. See, when Jesus came and, and he walked with us, it was the same thing as when God created the tabernacle so he could be with his people. And so Jesus became one of us. He walked with us so that he could be part of this redemption process. You see, the Jews, their role, right, but part of the, the promise of returning to the promised land was that they would demonstrate to the world who God was. And so Jesus, being fully God and fully human, becomes the ideal representative to the world. He's greater than Moses, right? He's greater than Abraham. He's greater than Elijah. He is truly God and man together. And he takes on the role that Israel was called to do, to show the world what the presence of God, what a relationship with God can look like. And think about Jesus' story. Born as a baby. If you think about it, there was this mass genocide that we read about in Matthew which when Moses was born, there was a mass genocide. There's a lot of parallels going on here. Moses leads the people. He crosses the water, right? He goes and he meets with God in the wilderness. And in the wilderness, the people are tested. And we read about the golden calf. We read about all the times they failed the test. But God says, no, no, I'm still holding on to you, reluctantly at times, but I'm going to hold on to you because my name is worth this. And he takes them into the promised land. And Jesus, he is born. He, he lives the first parts of his life in obscurity. And then he goes to the waters of, of the Jordan where he is baptized and the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove where it says, now it's time. 
And he goes out into the wilderness, not for 40 years, but for 40 days. And he's tested, but he passes the test. He resists. And then he comes back into the promised land, right? Back into Israel. And what does he do? He brings Eden. He brings new creation with him. And he begins doing little things that just plant seeds of new creation all over. Right? What, what did Jesus do? He walked in and he started healing people. He started feeding thousands. He, he started bringing sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. He, he declared freedom for those who were oppressed. We think about the people that he met that were at the bottom, that were really and truly just there's nothing left for them. And what does he do? He brings them hope. He even raises the dead. He brings new creation, new life with him in his ministry to show us what that looks like. But then he does the ultimate sacrifice. Whereas the man who deserved nothing wrong, right? He deserved to be glorified. He dies because that's the worst possible thing that evil can do to him. He allows evil to expend the worst possible thing it could do, death. And he absorbs it. And he conquers it. Because we know on the third day, he was resurrected. It wasn't that he just, you know, kind of fell asleep and then quickly somebody like gave him, you know, gave him some, some compressions and breaths and got that. No, he didn't get CPR. He died. But he said, death, is that the worst you can do? Evil, is that the worst you can do? Because I can beat that. And so he raised from the dead. And now he is telling us, he's saying, listen, I have conquered the worst that evil can do to you. You no longer have to be afraid of that. I have beaten it. There is nothing that evil can do to you that I haven't already conquered. And I did it for you. Because I want you to be resurrected with me, to experience new life, new creation life, even taste of it now and forever. Why do we celebrate the gift of Jesus at Christmas? By giving each other gifts, by doing things that, that show we love each other, by, by reaching out, by, by giving. Why is this the season of giving? Because Jesus said, I'm going to come and I'm going to give you something that you cannot give to me. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you victory over evil. You are no longer enslaved to evil because of what Jesus accomplished. Now, to me, that's a pretty good gift. I'd probably take that over a golf membership. Okay, I definitely would take that over a golf membership because I think playing golf probably leads me to more sin than uh, this. But <laughs> you see, I have been given this gift of there is nothing that evil can do to me that Jesus hasn't already beaten. As I live and breathe and move throughout my life, I don't have to be afraid. I'm not controlled by anything. Instead, I'm saying, Jesus, I'm going to trust you because you've already beaten that. 
and I'm going to follow you. You see, in doing this, Jesus saves me from being enslaved or at the mercy of evil. That is the gift in the manger. That is the gift in the empty tomb. We are no longer enslaved. We are no longer at the mercy of evil. We can actually walk with victory each and every day. Because death has, evil has done the worst it could do. And Jesus said, that wasn't enough. I got more. But he did that 2,000 years ago. I mean, that's a long time. Even for us old people. Right, Keith? I'm just kidding. <laughs> right? I mean, that, that's the thing. Is that's 2,000 years is a long time. How in the world could that still be real? Why does it still matter? That's kind of my second question. It happened so long ago. Can it still work? I mean, it sounds nice, right? It sounds great for me to say, oh, you know what? I, I, I'm no longer enslaved by evil. Well, but I look at my life and I realize I still do things that aren't exactly the best. There's still evil in the world. Is this thing actually working or has it lost its power? And I think that's a, that's a real question. How could something that happened 2,000 years ago still have and still be effective in some cosmic way today? I mean, this is why it's important to understand the whole story of God's redeeming of humanity. That's why it's, it's, it's important to understand that when God created, he said, this is very good, and I'm not going to let it just fall apart. This is why it's, it's so important to understand that with humanity's rebellion and then the cascading effects of the decreation or the curses, right, which reversed the relationship that we had with God, the positive, the good, it began to fall apart. It's so important to understand that when Jesus came and did what he did, he reversed those for all time. See, the Christmas story is not just 2,000 years old about a manger and a baby and shepherds. It started millennia before that. When God said, this isn't the last word. Where the curse is not the last word. Evil doesn't get the last word, I do. This is why Paul when he's talking to the church in Philippi, and he's saying, I want you to understand the significance of what Christ did, of what Jesus did when he became one of us. In Philippians 2, starting in verse 5, it says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. And now he says, this is what Jesus did. Who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held on to, a thing to use for his advantage. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of man or humanity. God became one of us. And so what he does is going to have eternal consequences. And so even though it's been 2,000 years since all these events took place, they are still effective because it was God who did them. 
What Jesus accomplished in his life and his death and his resurrection was a death blow to evil. And we see pictures of this all through God's story, right? I mean, think about it. All the, all the you know, Sunday school uh, stories that you saw in flannel graph and, and you saw in different things, right? All the stories of, of Abraham and, and, and the weird story of the way God seals a covenant with him in Genesis 12, Genesis 15, Genesis 18. Especially 15 is this weird story about God being, coming in the form of, of fire and smoke and passing through these animals that have been cut in half is really weird, okay? I'm just going to tell you that. But he does this in the form of smoke and fire, which later then in Exodus is the form that God takes when he leads the people. And when he comes down and he dwells among them, this is God saying, I want to be with you. I will do whatever it takes to be with you. I love you. I created you and you are very good. And he meets with the people of Israel, right? And he gives them what we call the law. But really what, what this was was a, a a covenant with them to say, for me to be with you, this is what I want you to be like. This is how I want you to live because I want to stay with you. And the coolest part about the whole law covenant, when you look at it, you know what he was doing? He was taking a bunch of slaves whose identity was wrapped up in being slaves, which how are you valuable if you're a slave? You're valuable if you produce more stuff, bricks in their case. The more bricks you produce, the more value you have. God comes along and he pulls them out of that and says, listen, I want to totally shift this. I don't want you to think of your, your value to me being based on what you produce. I want you to see that your value is in whose you are, not what you do. And so he said, every seven days, I want you to take a day off. Every seven years, I want you to take a year off. Every 49 years, I want you to take a year and just return everything back so everyone is where they started. You see, that's not about having value because of what you produce. It's about having value because God says you're valuable. That's what God wants to continually tell us over and over and over through the Old Testament. And then all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and says, let me show you how much I love you. And he says, I'm going to absorb the worst so that you can have the best. God was building to this amazing moment when he would break the hold evil had on creation. You see, in that manger that the shepherds came to see, God became one of us so that our story could be reunited with his story. And now we live in the continuing ripples of that Christmas event. And the power of the story, it's, it's not waning. It's actually growing as God continues to call us into his family and into his story. I mean, think about other parts of the Christmas story, the Magi. These were not Jewish people. These were probably astrologers from, they were Gentiles. But who showed them that the Messiah was being born? God. God sent a star because that's how they would recognize it. And they came to worship the Savior. Guess what? Unless someone in here is Jewish, we're all Gentiles. But God called us too. He didn't have to, but he did. 
and it's still effective today. Which goes to the last question, which is really simple, and most of you probably know the answer. So how do I get this gift, right? It's Christmas. I want the gift. <laughs> it's on my list, right? What do I want for Christmas? Well, I'd like to not be enslaved by evil, and I'd also like a new, you know, set of Legos. I, I don't know. So how do we get this gift? It, it's, it's really, I mean, it's really simple. But the hardest part about Christmas, for me at least growing up, still a little bit, is the waiting. The tree's been up for weeks. We haven't hung the stockings with care or anything yet, but that, that's coming. But I'm looking at that tree, and there's nothing under it yet. There's nothing under it yet. There's nothing under it yet. And I want to see what's coming. I, wanna see, I can't wait for that day. I don't have to wait to receive this Christmas gift from God. I mean, that's something we can, we can take advantage of at any moment. You see, the moment you embrace Jesus, as your representative who overcame death, as the moment you place your trust in him as the one who's not going to let death have the final word in your existence, but will raise you up again because he said he would. He demonstrated that he could by him, through himself, and then he said, I'm going to do it for you if you'll just trust me. The moment we do that, we join our story to the never-ending story of God. Jesus put it this way in, in John chapter 6, verse 29. It says, Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Which is pretty blunt, right? Believe in the one he has sent. How do you receive the gift? You open it. You rip that paper off and you say, God, here I am. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to follow you. I'm putting my story in with yours. I'm just going to trust that you've got the ending handled because you said you would and you proved it with Jesus. And I'm going to be a new creation person. I'm going to live this way moving forward by bringing life, new creation life to the world around me. I'm going to show you what it looks like. I'm going to show the world what it looks like to have hope in you. I'm going to live a life that demonstrates how much you love me by loving those around me. I'm going to be a little taste of the Garden of Eden to the people in this world so that they can see what life actually looks like. I'm going to join my story with your story because your story is the only one that matters. The question really for each of us today is, are you ready to join that story? I mean, we've talked about the never-ending story for the last few weeks, right? We, we, we've talked about different aspects of it and how you got you to gotta understand what was going on. You got to understand that there was this beautiful creation that fell apart when we rebelled, and, and there were consequences to that. And now we have to work through those consequences by saying, okay, God, fix this and God says you don't I do and he sends Jesus and every year we celebrate this but do we really embrace the never-ending story of Jesus overcoming death for us so that we can now join the story 
and live out new creation life at work, at home, at church, in the mall, which right now is hard work. So that's the question. Will you give yourself to that story today and simply say, Jesus, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to pray in just a second. And, and if that's something that you've never actually done, you've never really said, God, I, I want to be part of that story. I want to, I want to follow you. I, I want to join in that never-ending story. I know there's going to be a prayer team in the back. You can go talk to them. Sean and I will be around as well. You can talk to one of us. We would love to give you more uh, in how you can work that out. But I just want you to know that this never-ending story is truly a story of hope and of joy. Because when the angel said, this will be great joy literally the choirs of heaven erupted let's pray God thank you that um, thank you that we don't have to work out all the details um, because quite honestly we are not smart enough to understand everything going on and there's a reason that Paul writes that even now that the the salvation that you bring is a mystery, but we trust it. And, and Father, I, I have no idea if there's anyone in this room today or watching online that, that maybe they're, they're saying, I've never actually embraced that story. I've never just broken down and said, God, I'm just going to trust you. I don't know how to work out, except I know ultimately you will give me life. And I want to trust you in that. And I want to take that first step in that direction. And God, for people who are talking to you about that, God, I ask that you would just fill their heart with your spirit now. And maybe they just want to say something to the effect of, Jesus, I trust you. I'm going to give you myself and trust that you're going to work it out. I believe that you are the one sent from God who overcame death so that I might live. And I know that's just a starting point, but God, I pray that as people pray that prayer, that they would then be able to start that journey with you and that this church would become a beacon to the community around us. And we are just shining forth the hope and the joy that comes from being part of your never-ending story. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand? And uh, we're going we're gonna to end our last Sunday morning gathering by singing some Christmas carols and just singing.